So uh, the food is money, part one. Money mismanagement. Money mismanagement. Miss is underlined because all the points will have miss in it. Welcome to the stage, Dan Rayberg. Thank you. This is a mighty man of God who has been with our church for eight years, who has seen God change his money situation over those last eight years because of sitting right where you are eight years ago, well, actually in the old building, but right where you are eight years ago, doing what we're talking about today. And um, I'm just thrilled to have you here. And you, te and you teach uh, our financial peace course. Yep. So you are boots on the ground dealing with all that ha goes on with people in our church and in our community who do a lot of things wrong with money and are stressed out about it. Yeah, and I'm, you know, I'm really excited about this message. You know, I want to be clear. My goal for the series is it would be an, a call to action. You know, we need to start happening to our finances rather than let our finances happen to us. So I'm hoping we can give you some uh, tools to do that. Exactly. So one of three things could happen to you to, uh, during this series. One of three things. Number one, you could get offended and, and leave uh, because you get very intimidated when the church starts meddling with your money. Uh, Martin Luther famously said that there are three conversions that a person experiences. The conversion of the mind where they start to believe, st think, okay, rationally, Jesus could be Lord. That's right. Rationally, he could be who he said he was. Then there's the conversion of a heart where they are actually saved and they brought into believing in him and trusting in him for their salvation. But the last conversion that rarely happens, he says, or, or happens very late in life is the conversion of the wallet, where we start to surrender what we have to the Lord. If he's Lord, he's in charge. If he's Lord, that surrender is necessary. Now, I wanna, I wanna implore you to come all five weeks to the series, and I wanna implore you not to get offended and think that this is some kind of scheme by the leadership of the church to get you to just give us your money. Um, no, that's not what this is about. Um, however, I want to tell you that you're sitting in a building that is here today because people who were here before you did not get offended, started to do money God's way. God blessed them and empowered them to give to the church so that we could have this building and this facility and own it and we could have over 45,000 square feet of building facility right over there, dedicated to reaching and teaching the next generation about Jesus. I'm, I think that's a worthwhile investment, right? So you could get offended and leave, and, and I just wanted to like, just like, think about this rationally with you for a second. If you get offended and leave because we talk about money and you don't want to give to the church, like we don't actually lose anything in that situation <laughs> except we actually gain a seat for somebody who possibly could get excited about. So like, I've never been worried about people leaving if I talk about money. It's just been not even in my wheelhouse. I talk about it all the time, it's great. Uh, but number two, you could ignore what we're talking about. Now this one I don't want you to do either because God has something to bless you with in this teaching. He cares about you and he loves you. And 40%, roughly 40% of Jesus' teaching dealt with money and possessions, 40%. He knew more than anybody that money, not, not um, romantic relationships, uh, not fame and popularity, money would have that opposing pull on our heart away from him. It is, it is that famous saying, no man can serve two masters. A man cannot love God and serve money. That's what he says. It's incredible. He doesn't say a man cannot serve God and Satan. No, 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 we're not serving Satan. He says no man can serve God and money. Money beyond anything else, can pull our hearts away from God. Third thing that I, that I think could happen, which I, I'm hoping and praying that does, 
your heart and your mind are affected with God's truth and principles about money, and your financial situation years from now is far, far better than it is today. That's where Dan was eight years ago. That's why he's here today. He was here two years ago for a series we did called The Church Just Wants My Money. And he's back up here with some life change. We're gonna get to that in just a moment. But Dan, I'm glad you're here. This week, we talk about the three big money mistakes. I brought you into my office. I said, Dan, tell me the top three. You're boots on the ground teaching financial peace uh, every year. Boots on the ground, what's the three big mistakes people make? So let's, let's get there. Yeah, to be honest, you know, we all make mistakes with money. So give yourself some grace. You know, but the truth is, to win with money, you need to be extremely emotional, intentional with it. You, know, you can wander into debt but I promise you, you cannot wander out. You, you need a written, intentional game plan of how you're gonna win each week, you know, each month, and each year. Yeah, so on the top of your notes, the first passage we're gonna look at is Proverbs 21:20 from the New Living Translation. It says, the wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. Please underline, fools spend whatever they get. Please <laughs> underline that one. Because, I mean, if that's all you hear, it's worth it coming to church today. Because when you spend what you get and you just, it comes in and immediately goes out, you're just asking for financial trouble. Now, this title, this title of the series is The Fool and His Money because we want you not to be foolish, we want to be wise. Look what it says. The wise have wealth and luxury. Some of you are under the misconception that to be truly Christian, to be truly spiritual, is to be poor. Some of you might have a problem with the way that I live. You say, why isn't he poorer? Shouldn't pastors be poorer? Where is that written? It is not written anywhere in the scriptures. Some people say, well, Jesus was poor, so his ministers should be poor. Yeah, but Jesus also went to the cross and was crucified. And, and that's not anybody else's calling. Like, that's not what he asks all his people to do. So let's not make some false equivalencies with what real spirituality is. Let's actually look at what scripture says. I believe God wants to bless his children, because he is a good father. Amen. So wise have wealth and luxury. And, and you might have a problem with those wealth and luxury. Aren't those things bad? No. <laughs> those things can be very good. They can be a benefit to your life, and they can empower you to be generous. Um, the second verse that we're going to take a look at, which is the theme of this series, the theme of this message, actually, is Proverbs 27, 23. Know well the condition of your flocks and give attention to your herds. I love this passage. Now, None of you, I don't think anyway, are farmers or uh, herdsmen or shepherds. <laughs> so flocks and herds are ancient um, money items. They, that's what money was. They didn't have dollar bills. They had flocks and herds. They traded, they bartered. Here's what the passage is saying. Know well the condition of your bank account. Know well the, or give attention to your retirement account. Give attention to your debits and credits. And Dan, you say it to me, and, and this is the first thing that we talked about. There is an underlying problem, it's in the notes there, underlying problem for all money issues. Yeah, to be honest, we're never taught to win with our finances. You know, personally, I was a corporate finance major, and never once in high school or in college was I ever taught to win with my personal finances. You know, you're never taught how to save, invest, get out of debt, so what we see is mostly it's your personal background that shapes this stuff. And we see it all the time in financial peace. You know, young couple gets married. The husband, his parents just swiped everything. So he swipes everything. The wife, you know, she, her parents lived on a tight budget. They lived the below their means. So that's what she does. And now they're married, you know, and so begins the money fights. Mm -hmm. You know, he's saying, wow, you know, I just married a control freak. 
You know, she says no to everything I want. And he just goes and swipes everything away. And she's saying, you know, I just married a child. This guy just swipes everything. And, you know, she follows him around with a pooper scooper, cleaning up every one of his messes. And they never make any traction with their money because they don't have a common language, a common purpose and plan for their finances. Yeah, I'm so glad for the couples that are here today because uh, there's a good chance that one of them is right. <laughs> And the other one needs to listen. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about that. Uh, two mistruths that we are constantly given by society. And before I get to the first one, um, foundational principle. The American way is not the Christian way. Amen. Amen. Some of you are under the false the delusion that this is a Christian country. <laughs> it is not. We Americans must first, as Christians, must first align our hearts with the principles of heaven. And then, where that is not contradictory to where we live, we can obey the laws of our society. We, we march to the beat of a higher drummer. We live according to heaven's principles, not the earth's principles. So please listen. America is jacked up financially. What is the national debt? Like $20 trillion. This is like a joke. Going by now. the day. Yeah, it's a joke. And it's like this, it's just talking points for politicians. America loves debt. America loves consumerism. We are not to fall into that trap as God's people. So the two mistruths that we see in our society, number one, more money is going to solve my problems financially. And people say this all the time. You know, once I get more money, I'll be able to save, invest, get out of debt. It's not true. You know, in class, we talk about Winning with money is 20% head knowledge, and it's 80% your behaviors. So we see people make more money, but their behaviors don't change. So now they can just afford more credit cards, more debt, more credit cards. If, you're, if the behavior doesn't change, money won't help it. You know, one in four American people that make 100 grand a year live paycheck to paycheck. So can money help the situation? Yes, but your behavior has to change first. So uh, the New York Post put this article out last year, and it was about how much money Americans spend on average per month on luxury items, luxury items. Now, let me explain what a luxury item is. Starbucks coffee <laughs> is a luxury item. We, we all got that? Like, that's, that's a luxury item. Some of you are like, I thought luxury items were gold. No, sometimes it's brown, liquid, and warm. <laughs> so... <laughs> You don't need Starbucks coffee. That's a luxury item. On average, Americans spend $200 a month on luxury items. That's, that's $2,400 a year on things that you don't need. Now, if you can afford that, I don't care, do it. But if you're struggling, watch out for this. Here's the serious problem. In the same article that reported $200 a month on average for American families on luxury items for Americans, the, the percentage of money spent on luxury items amongst Americans actually goes higher for younger people. These are the people who are gonna get themselves into financial straits, never gonna be able to get above water financially because they spend their younger years spending more money on things they don't need and then regretting it decades later. I want you to see yourself as Dan Rayberg eight years ago sitting right where you are because you have a chance. He did what we were talking about. And he's now seeing financial prosperity come to life in his life because he took those younger years and was diligent with them and it paid off in the later years. Some of you love to throw caution to the wind. I'll take care of it later. I'll throw, take care of it later. No, you won't. 
you'll get further and further into trouble because who you are with little is who you are with much. Here's what, here's what Jesus says. This is not my principle, this is Jesus' principle. Luke 16, 10. One who is faithful with little will be faithful with much. One who is dishonest with little will be dishonest in much. Another famous financial parable that Jesus uh, talked about in that passage. In other words, money can't change your heart, only God can. If you're stingy now, you'll be stingy later. If you're, if you're broke now, you'll be broke later. So listen up, get God's word to change your heart so that the behavior starts to change and you start to thank God later in life for what you did now. Yeah, we know that. I mean, if you were a jerk before money, you're gonna be a jerk after money. Yeah. <laughs> As Christians, money's not gonna change the heart. It's just not gonna happen. Okay, so uh, mistruth number two, debt is an important tool to build your financial reputation. <laughs> this is America's mantra today. Romans 13, eight says, oh, no one, anything. So debt is like this financial, you know, uh, tool. Like we gotta, you gotta get into debt to build your credit score, the FICO. So let's talk about that. Yeah, let me set the record straight on one of the biggest lies you've been told as an American that your FICO score is somehow a wealth score. It's not. I hear people bragging all the time about their FICO score as they're swimming in debt and have absolutely no money. So I wanted to, I, I wrote this down. What actually makes up your FICO score? So I, wanna, I wrote it down to make sure I didn't mess it up. 35% is your payment history, how well you pay debt. 30% is your debt level, how much debt you owe. 15% is the length of credit history, how long you've carried the debt. 10% is new credit, new lines of debt you have. And 10% is the type of credit, the mixes of debt you have. Anybody notice a pattern there? It's all debt. You could have a million bucks in the bank and it will not affect your FICO score one point. So for us to be prating around and bragging to people about how good we are going into debt and playing kissy face with the bank is ridiculous. If your FICO score or FICO number is higher than the number in your savings account, I promise you, you are doing this wrong. <laughs> I promise. Yeah, definitely. Um, <clears throat> here's another biblical principle regarding debt. How many parents do we have in the house? Proud parents, put your hands up. Even if you're not proud, just put your hands up. <laughs> How many of you parents ever had to say no to your child about something that they wanted because it wasn't right for them at that moment? Okay, so our, our father in heaven, he's our parent. And he's all, to all of us, at some point he said no to one of our prayers, wasn't something we wanted, because it wasn't right for us at that moment. How many of you can say, yes, I've had that experience. You don't have to be a parent to see that. You said, yes, God said no to me, right? So how many of you were glad that he said no later in life? Yeah, most of us would say yes to that, right? Okay, so listen, here's what debt does. Debt empowers you to play God. Debt does. Credit cards empower you to play God. I can get what I should not have now by just swiping or signing up for the loan and then pay for it for years afterwards. And sometimes we, again, the American system works against us to undercut the ability for our father to treat us the way we need to be treated. Yeah, I mean, we know that as humans, if your son was addicted to heroin, would you be funneling money into that? It's not, because you know it's not gonna be a blessing. It's gonna be a burden to him, and God is the same way. If he knows you can't manage it, and he knows it's not gonna be a blessing, it's gonna be a burden, he's not gonna do that. Okay, so let's talk about the three mistakes. Three big mistakes, and then honorable mention. So four, really. Okay, number one, mistake that people make with money. Not paying attention. Not paying attention. You don't know what's going on with your finances. Dan, speak to this. Yeah, you know, I think we as Americans make a lot of mistakes with our money, but almost all of them fall under the category that we're simply not paying attention. It always amazes me when a couple comes into class and they have no idea what they make a month, 
no idea what their debts are, and absolutely no idea where the heck their money is going. And if we can just get them to take ownership over their finances, that your numbers are your numbers. If you're not looking, who is? You know, it's empowering when you see a married couple that's been fighting for 10 years about finances, and they finally realize they have been the problem, and now they get to become the solution. When we can get control of what's coming in and what's going out, we can start to win with our finances. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and this is important, too, for people who are um, wondering, okay, what do I got to pay attention to? Very simple, two things. Yeah, finance boils down to really two things. What is coming in and what is going out? And to the point we can get control of that, we can start to win. Yeah. What's coming in, what's going out? Do you know those two numbers? If you don't, you are going to lose, okay? So, uh, Dan, I love the story that you told me in the, in the office about graduating college as a typical American. Here's the American way. What did you do? Yeah, I graduated 22-year-old kid, a broke finance major, you know, about 50, 60 grand in debt. And, you know, lived at home with mom and dad, barely had any money. But you know what I deserved? Brand new car. So that's what I got. And that's the path I was going on. And luckily, the Financial Peace Preview played here about two weeks after, and that's when things changed. <laughs> so you rewarded yourself for graduating college with debt with more debt. That I deserved, didn't I? Yeah, that's not, that's not smart. Okay, so here's why. Because Dan saw quickly how much debt robs us. Proverbs 27, 23, the borrower is slave to the lender. I'm sorry, that's the Proverbs 22, 7. Proverbs 22, 7. The borrower is slave to the lender. Should really, Tim, the only way that I got out of that debt was I got so angry at it. I remember I used to run to the mailbox uh, to get that student loan payment. You Love know, when, that. when I realized the, the life and the future and the wealth that it was robbing me of, I just wanted to get rid of it so bad because I knew once I did... I was never going back again. Yeah, and some of you remember, again, from two years ago, Dan was up here with me. We did a series talk. We did this. We actually did the part with him like in week three, but I thought this time, let's just put all the bad stuff up front and then we'll spend the next four years, help, <laughs> uh, four, four weeks helping people. So that's what we're gonna do with this series. Very important that you understand that today is diagnosis. Next week and following, we talk about solutions. So we are diagnosing, 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 and then we will talk about solutions going forward. But you were up here two years ago, and back two years ago, you were six years into the church. You were starting to get financial. You were actually already financially stable, teaching financial peace here at Waters Church. But you were single, and since then, last two years, you found a girl. Engaged, yeah. Got engaged, got the ring on it. <laughs> Amen. Going to get married in September. Yep. And here's where you could have fallen into the American trap. We gotta have the blowout wedding. And that means we gotta charge it. We gotta pay for it with credit cards because you know what? Mom doesn't have any money or dad doesn't have any money. I don't know what your situation is, but some people do that. And so we're gonna go into debt for this blowout party because it's all about us. We deserve the Cinderella story wedding and we're gonna have it. And you could have fallen into the trap, but you didn't. What did you do? Yeah, so at 22, I took the class and I was a single kid. And in class, we talk about forecasting out major life events, major life purchases. So they don't just drop on your lap and destroy your financial plan. You know, so at that time, I looked into my future and I knew, you know, I wanted to be married someday. That was important to me. And I knew that that, I didn't, uh, I didn't want money to be what held me back from whenever God brought her. I wanted to be able financially to take that next step. You know, so I knew that that meant that someday a wedding would be coming and a ring would be coming. You know, and I just started a wedding fund. You know, it just came down to, I didn't want that whenever God brought her, whether that was the next year or eight years later, I wanted to be ready for the next step in my life. Dude started a wedding fund before he met the girl. 
Ah, I love it. Is that something that you opened up with on the first date? <laughs> By the way, I just want you to know. No, I mean, to be honest, I think it's, it's something that just talks about winning with money is a long-term view and being able to, just, uh, to delay the short-term pleasures. And, and going back to weddings, and we're gonna talk about Instagram here because everybody falls into the Instagram trap with money because what we do is we, we buy things that we don't need so that we can impress people on Instagram uh, and, and post a picture of it. It's like, why? Um, here's a, a little tidbit about your wedding plans, young people. <laughs> it's gonna pinch, but it's true. Most of the people who are gonna go to your wedding don't want to be there. <laughs> I hate to tell you this, I, I gotta be the bearer of bad news sometimes. Yeah. It's usually, especially in New England, it's usually on a nice day. Summer. Yeah. Thank you, thank <laughs> you. In the summer, spring, fall, whatever. And, and so we'd rather be working on our yard, maybe going to the beach, maybe just taking a day with the family, but no, we have to go to your wedding. <sighs> taking you off the list. Take me off the list. Thank you so much, Dan. <laughs> So, so I only say that, I don't say that to hurt your feelings, I say that to just get perspective of what you're doing there. Like, like you're gonna pay all this money to get people to celebrate you for eight hours and they don't even wanna be there? Like, do you really wanna pay and go into debt for that? Why not rather invest that in your and your husband's or your and your wife's future instead of that moment? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so anyway, <sighs> brings us to another thing we've gotta plan for paying for college. Yeah, you know, and obviously if you are, you know, a parent with a newborn, you're in a, uh, you have an advantage, there's things like 529 plans to make sure we're forecasting out that. If you're somebody with a 16-year-old, some pretty practical things you can do to make sure you're avoiding the epidemic of student loan crisis. First would be uh, community college. You know, community college offers a amazing, inexpensive way to get your general education courses done. And most of those will transfer to any in-state tuition. They allow you to, not going to you know, huge financial debt as you're figuring out what you want to do with your life. And I was actually having a conversation with somebody who has his son at trade school. And so the kid's graduating with a trade and he's gonna be able to make money, a lot of money right out of high, high school, not college. And I had this feeling, just based on what's happening with the universities, the, sky, the costs are skyrocketing and the education is plummeting and people are taking degrees that don't actually help anybody. They're getting master's degrees in things that don't help anybody. And so what you're gonna have is, you're gonna have the guy with the master's degree in gender studies <laughs> paying a plumber $125 an hour because gender studies kid can't fix the little thing on his toilet. <laughs> So watch out for this lie and this slave mentality in the university and college institution. It is a slave mentality. And the government steps up and says, okay, we'll subsidize loan. And everybody's like, what the heck? And now uh, people have these incredible debts and then they're gonna get demanding. And here's the thing about, again, back to Instagram. No, nobody's putting you know, Instagrams of them going to their first day of community college. Nobody's doing it. But guess what they are? They're being smart. Yeah, another thing we can do also is in-state tuition. I went to UMass Amherst myself, and I can't tell you how many buddies I had on my floor freshman year from Rhode Island and New York who came to the state school of Massachusetts so they weren't like their buddies from their own state and go to their own in-state school. So they're paying double the tuition of all of us so they can be different. That's dumb. And, and, and let me be honest with you. Nobody cares where you went to college. No one. No one cares. I interview people all the time. 
And never once have I looked down at a resume and said, oh, you know, Bridgewater State, huh? What's wrong? We weren't good enough for Boston College, right? That, just, that doesn't happen. <laughs> it's true, though. That doesn't happen. What a great lie these colleges have sold you. You know, integrity, showing up on time, being a team player. Those things get you hired. Those things get you promoted. I don't care where you went to school. And you talk about this, that people are ignorant of the fact that money is like a river. It naturally flows from one place to another. Where does it flow from and where does it flow to? Yeah, money is active. And it flows from those who can't manage it to those who can. Ooh, that was good preaching. Amen. <laughs> I'll give you the amen I've if they want to say that. All I'm right, up so. here for you. But it's true. That, that's true. And, uh, you know, I think that as Christians, we have a spiritual duty to, to manage God's money well. Because if not, that goes to the other side. That's right. Yeah. It's just going to happen. All right. Mistake number two. Buying things you can't afford with money you don't have to impress people who don't care. <laughs> Buying things you don't need with money that you can't afford to impress people who don't care. Yeah, we live in such a consumer society that savings is never, ever a priority. And we purchase things, and we think we can afford them, but what we really are saying is we think we can pay the monthly payment. You know, Tim said, the borrower is slave to the lender. One of the best lines I've ever heard was, the poor man asks how much down, how much a month, and the rich man just asks how much and pays for it, right? He doesn't got payments, chase him around for five years for things he doesn't even have anymore. You go to a car dealership, that's like the mantra of the car dealer is how much down, how much a month. They don't even want to tell you how much the car They don't costs. want to tell you anymore. No, no. And so you say this too, when, when it comes to money, the tortoise wins, not the hare. Yeah, it's a long-term mindset. There's a bunch of hares in this world running around. You see them on Instagram, but buying the newest cars, buying the newest clothes. You know, children act on emotion. Yeah. Adults devise a plan and they stick to it. Yes. Over the long time. That's how you win with money, diligence. So here's how we punch consumerism in the face. Here's how we punch American consumerism in the face and we start to set our hearts up for long-term success financially. Two things, and they are counterintuitive. Tithing and saving yeah, saving, as Christians. Yeah, savings and tithing are an emotional decision to make them a priority. And we hear it all the time, I just can't save, I can't do it. And Dave confronts them with this scenario, and I'm not saying this is gonna happen, but Let's say that your son, your daughter, or nephew, someone you love, comes down with an illness. And they're gonna die. The only way to save them is a vaccination that costs 5,000 bucks. And the government comes up with a, a law that you can't use any debt, and you can't use any a cash you have on hand to, you, to buy that. How quickly do you think you guys could come up with that money to save the child's life? That's right. right. I, and I say, like, yeah, you can do so, it. So it is. So it, it's an emotional decision that you're going to do it. And when you decide that I'm going to tithe, I'm going to save, it's going to be part of my plan, you can do it. So three things. There's a three-word mantra to living financially uh, uh, blessed. Give, save, live. Give, save, live. As Christians, we bring God the first tenth. That's what tithe means. It's a tenth of my income. Some of you are like, that's crazy. It's totally possible. I've been doing it with my wife our entire married life. We have seen God bless us substantially. Even when we were flat broke and we were just barely getting by, God blessed, multiplied our efforts, multiplied this church, multiplied our lives. He has a way to bless you that the mortgage company can't do it. He has a way to bless you that the electric company can't do it. When you set your first to God, you're saying to God, I trust you more than anyone else in my life. Give 10%, then save. 10%. This is retirement and savings, emergency funds, all, all, all those kind of things. 10% to your future. So the first two pieces of the pie for your finances go to God and you. I like that. Yeah. 
and then you learn to live on the 80%, which is absolutely possible. People don't think so because they're in the American mindset, but it's possible. Yeah, and it sounds counterintuitive, right? How does giving help my financial plan? And the best way that we illustrate in class is, you know, picture like a closed fist, right? Yes, nothing else can get out, but nothing can get in. You know, compared to an open fist, yes, some can flow out. That's right. But also can flow back in. You know, the truth is that generous people live a more fulfilled life. They're more joyful. Nobody wants to promote the greedy jerk. And, you know, what we're seeing across society right now, the people that reach the financial apex of life, of financial freedom, the Warren Buffetts, the Bill Gates of the world, who have spent their whole life chasing finances, they get to the top and they realize the funnest thing you can do with money is to be able to give it and not need anything back in return. You know, when you give money or gift and don't need anything in return, it gives us a joy that receiving a gift could never match. Amen. So we're gonna get political because we're already talking about money. <laughs> so I wanna talk about another touchy subject. Um, this is an election year and never before have I seen it this loudly, you know, shouted about how one side is to blame for all of the other side's financial problems. And this is a huge, like, political talking points issue. And I'm gonna tell you a couple reasons why it's so ridiculous even when I hear it. Um, because here's the thing about the President of the United States, no matter who he is or may be, the President of this, of this country cannot make laws. He cannot make laws. He is the executive branch how many, of you, how many of you knew that? Did you know that? Like, okay, so not many of you knew that. Thank God I said it. The legislature, the Congress, makes the laws and the president enforces those laws. So that's why every time a guy campaigns or a woman campaigns for, this is what I'm gonna do, this is what I'm gonna do, this is what I'm gonna do, and then they get in, they can't do it. Right, because they can't make laws. They can just talk, basically. And so you put all your hopes into that. You can be careful that you don't fall into this mindset of, oh, somebody with money is to blame for why I don't have money. That's a victim mentality. You can start taking ownership of your life financially when you stop pointing at other people for why you have financial problems. Yeah, it's funny in class, we never talk Democrat or Republican. We talk about winning with money as your behaviors. You take an emotional control of your money. Uh, I, I've taught in the class through multiple presidencies. And never once has a president come in of office or out of office, and all of a sudden we're all rich. Like, that just doesn't happen. Every time you get paid, you get to make a decision of what is most important to you. You know, your money represents your valuables, your value system. What is most valuable to you? And that's the best thing about looking at your numbers is you get to decide, is 1,200 bucks a month to restaurants most valuable to me? And if not, you get to make a change effective immediately no matter who's in the White House. So one of the big political talking points is this, canceling student loan debt. And there's a bunch of politicians running around the country right now saying that that's exactly what they're gonna do. Not telling you, of course, that they can't actually make the law to do it. So they're gonna tell you that they're gonna do it, then they're gonna get into office, and there's a good chance in the midterm elections, if it's the other person getting in this time, the other party's gonna sweep into the Congress the next time, and they're gonna stop him from enacting that law. So this is basically a false promise, but you say that canceling anybody's debt, whether it's student loan or whatever, is actually a bad thing for that person, why? Yeah, you know, I would view it as putting like a Band-Aid on a cancer patient because the, the condition, the behavior hasn't changed. You haven't done anything. So yeah, sure, wipe away their debt. If the behavior and the condition hasn't changed, those people are gonna get in debt just another find another way to do it. Go get credit cards, car payments, whatever. And I'm not defending, 
uh, you know, universities at all. They've gone completely out of control. Insane. But we as consumers and Christians need to be aware of all of the things that, that are affecting our money. And God's not interested in just solving your problems, right? He's after your heart. Yeah, money, more money cannot change your heart. Only God can change your heart. So again, some of you still don't believe what we just said. I know it. I, can, I almost feel the resistance all weekend about this one point. The canceling of your debt does not change your heart attitude about money. If you were willing to get into debt earlier and someone comes along and cancels it, you're gonna be willing to get into debt later. Absolutely. Because the heart, if the heart wants those things and will just you know, go into debt for it to get it, it's gonna do that no matter what happens. No matter what happens. At some point, fellow Americans, at some point, we have got to stop asking other people to solve our problems and ask God to change our hearts so that we can rise up and take ownership and responsibility of our lives and live with his mindset and his wisdom and acquire the things and the life that he wants us to acquire as our good and heavenly father. Amen. Amen. So let's see, that takes us to number three. Number three mistake is not believing your financial situation can change. And a lot of people don't think it can change. In fact, three out of four Americans, this is a New York Post study, uh, three out of four Americans believe, uh, sorry, are in debt and believe that they, were perpet- they will be perpetually in debt for the rest of their lives. 75% of Americans basically think, this is what I'm going to be forever. You can change, Dan changed, and he is uh, thankful for it today, but you just need a plan. Yeah, we hear that all the time, man. I just, I can't change my situation. But those are, and I hear this in the world too, not just in the church. Those are the same people that have absolutely no idea what's coming in and no idea what's going out. And that would be like the Patriots having no idea who they play this week, having no game plan on defense to stop the other team, no game plan on offense to attack and uh, go after the other team, and then losing by 50 and saying, well, it's not our fault. Well, yeah, it is. You didn't have a plan. You know, the number one indicator of people that succeed at financial peace are people that do a budget and stick to a budget. You get to decide every month what is most important to you. All the time, I see people choosing restaurants over retirement, car payments over homes. Your situation can change and fast when you take control. And uh, one of the things about the Patriots, just to lean into that illustration a little bit more, is this. And, and we all know this, all of us Patriot fans, okay? And if you're not one, you shouldn't be at this church. Anyway, um, <laughs> just playing, just playing, just playing. Okay, anyway. Uh, no, here's the thing about the Patriots. We all know this. They, as an organization, will make decisions about personnel that totally tick all of us off. We'll be like, why are they doing, why are they letting that guy go? Why are they trading that guy? Why do they always do this? And you know why they do it? Because they wanna do one thing, win Super Bowls. That's all they wanna do. That's all they wanna do. That's all they care about, okay? And that means that they don't care if you like what they do to win Super Bowls. Now, some of you say, what does that have to do with me? Because here's what you gotta do. You gotta have one goal to get financially strengthened, to get financially prosperous, and you wanna be so attached to that goal, okay? So, so that you make decisions that might tick off other people and you don't care. Yes. You are going to take care of you and your house. And this is actually biblical. We have this on the, tech, on, on the, on the notes there. Uh, the, the righteous man provides an inheritance for his children's children. This is biblical. 
It's not greed. We're not going to go with greed. We're talking about greed in this series, but we're not talking about that now. We're talking about taking control of your finances so that you are not slave to the lender, so that you're not underwater, so that you're not sleepless and stress-filled financially in your life. Yeah, stop listening to your broke friend about finances. Oh, yeah. Start listening to the word of God, because guess what? It holds up true. Isaiah 32, 7 and 8. As for the scoundrel, his devices are evil. He plans wicked schemes to ruin the poor with lying words. Even when the plea of the needy is right, but he who is noble plans noble things, and on noble things he stands. There is nothing wrong with having nice things. There is nothing wrong with being blessed. Some of God's best heroes were rich. Abraham, David, Solomon, etc., etc., etc. They were rich. Uh, um, Nicodemus in the New Testament. Joseph of Arimathea, okay? Rich people were faithful followers of Jesus Christ. It's not wrong. Loving money is wrong, but having money is not. We want to do it right. We got to have a plan, and we got to we got to we got to take control of that of this area. Number four, honorable mention. So we'll get to this one. Number four, not realizing the potential of money. People don't know that money has this incredible potential to help their lives. Yeah, you know, is it our lot in life just to live paycheck to paycheck, suck in air, have some stuff, and then die, or does God have a bigger purpose for your finances? I, I do. I truly believe He did. And when I grasped. What if I could get out of debt and get my money right? How could I help the people around me? How could I help my family? How could I make sure I'm the last Rayburg in my family that is not educated on student loan debt and on credit cards? You know, how could I bless the people around me? Here's the thing, when you're so caught up in your own mess that you can't, and you can't even pay your own light bill, how could God clear your eyes to see the people around you and notice, hey, there's a single mom struggling right next to yes. you that needs help with her light bill. So that's the potential. When I realized, man, if I could get my finances Correct, and God could give me clarity to what to all the opportunities that I could do with the fight with the money that He's you know entrusted me to manage, and that goes back to um, this false premise that real spiritual people are really poor. Wrong, you know. People, Dan, you know this too. People started to get upset when our church got big because they said, "Oh, big church, impersonal. It's not going to be the same." No, it's not going to be the same. Actually, this is why a big church is a blessing because a big church can make a bigger difference in the community. It's a fact, okay? We make a huge difference in this community as of right now, way bigger than when we were 50 people, way bigger. Here's the thing about your finances. You getting more money helps you to help more people. Bigger finances for you makes a bigger difference in the lives of others. And under no certain terms do I think that Christians should be opening their hands, expecting everybody to bless them. No way, man. We should be blessing everybody around us. Believers and non-believers, they should look to us. They should say, why do you got this going on so well? And here's what we say, because we know our Father. He loves us, and we listen to his word, and we follow his principles. And his way, not the American way, is the right way. Yeah, and it's, you know, in the Proverbs, they say a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. That's what I want to look back at the end of my life and say, well done. You know, you manage God's money well. You've left an inheritance to your children's children, and you've left them with purpose, of what, why that's purposeful to use God's money for their life. So 2 Corinthians 9.10, I just want you to look at this last passage that we're gonna look at. He who supplies seed, circle the word seed, because we're talking about the potential of money. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The word seed here is what Paul uses to analogize money. It says God is the one who gives you money to sow. Where 
you plant a seed, things grow. So here's what Scripture's telling us. Where you plant your money, what? Things grow. Things grow. If you plant your money in your future, it grows. If you plant your money in future spending and future big budget items, it grows. Conversely, if you plant your money in the casino, it grows. It grows the casino. If you plant your money in the expensive restaurant, that restaurant grows. Which one do you want to grow? Which one do you want to grow? Are, are, are any of you sick and tired of helping everybody else around you grow while you shrink? I want you to start investing in your life, strengthening your financial position so that you can grow, not so that other people can shrink, so that you can be a blessing to everybody around you. There's a tremendous potential to money. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, one thing I would say about all of this, I wanna be very clear, I didn't learn any of this from college, from schooling, from self-help books, from any of that. I learned all of this right here at Waters Church. And had I have not, back in 2012, been available and at church and, and uh, willing to go to the class, I was going down the wrong path. And that is what changed me. This stuff is serious. You know, money will steal your marriage. It's the number one co uh, cause of divorce in North America is money fights. It will steal your peace and it will steal your future. Do not miss this series. Don't miss it. Let February 2020 be the year that you look back on and say, you know what? They were talking about money at church and things changed. You know, I took control of my finances. God wants to be involved in your finances. And guess what? His ways work. They work. Do not miss this series. Come to the whole thing and allow the, God, the Lord to work on your heart. And I think about it. some of you right now are Dan Rayberg 2012. And you're going to listen and you're going to hear and God's going to start to change your life. And it's going to be a, a, a wonderful experience for you. I just think back. I have never been shy about talking about money in this, series, uh, in this church. You all know this. Every year, I do a money series. Every single year. And we're, we're, we're going to do a plan this year with a series on how to bless some less fortunate people. Usually, we're raising money for, like, parking and for buildings and all that kind of stuff. Actually, we, we got money for that. Now, we're going to do something just to bless the community with, it, with a little campaign, small little campaign. But anyway, uh, more about that later. <clears throat> this is what you need to think about is we have diagnosed the problem today. This is just diagnosis. This is like the doctor coming, taking your temperature, your pulse, and all that kind of stuff. So you actually haven't learned much yet. That's why the next four weeks are so important. Diagnosis and then prognosis and then solutions and, and, and prescriptions. And we're going to get into that starting next week, so don't miss it. I believe God's going to turn your financial situation around if you come and you listen and you do it. Amen. The last thing that I wanted to share, too, about this passage of Scripture that we talked about, uh, know well the condition of your flocks. Know well, Proverbs says, the condition of your flocks and the, and the, and the uh, condition of your herds. All Scripture points to Jesus. He's the good shepherd. He's the perfect shepherd. You are his flock. So the perfect shepherd in heaven, according to the proverb, knows well your condition. So wherever you are financially, I want you to hear me say this last thing. Jesus knows it well, and he wants to help. If you're here and you're just one half of a marriage and you're thinking, oh, I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna try to share this and they're not gonna listen, Jesus knows. <laughs> if you're here and you're just struggling by and you're thinking, I'm way too in debt, this is way, or maybe you're thinking, it's too late for me, I'm too old to start changing, Jesus knows. And he's a good shepherd and he's asked 
asking you simply to trust him and let him take care of the rest. He can do amazing and marvelous things no matter your situation, no matter your condition. Trust him.